You are listening to Message Rewind from Discovery Church. I think first-time parents are hilarious. Okay, uh, now I can say that because I am, I was a first-time parent. I'm now a pro. I got three. And uh, I, I think parents are amazing, first-time parents are amazing because of the, uh, the, the feeling that they understand what is about to take place when they have their baby. There is a swagger with first-time parents that it, it's very easy. <laughs> I'm glad I can't see people in the in the crowd right now. <laughs> it's very easy to, to look at another parent. I remember I did that. I would go to Target before I had kids and there was a mom with a kid that was like, Nyah! and I'm like, man, why, why don't you do something about that? Only to realize uh, the parent could spank him all they want, but we don't spank Sonoma County. Hello. And, um, but it depends on the kid, right? But that is neither here nor there. That is not even in my notes. I just went on a rabbit trail. Uh, but first-time parents are amazing because they, 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 there's this swagger about them that they, 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 we feel like we, we know what to do when it happens. Because we read the books. <laughs> Come on, we listen to the podcast. We watch The View. Like, we get it, right? Like, we, <laughs> we know and so I remember uh, the first time uh, when, when my son, my firstborn, was uh, born. And uh, he, he was about one and a half, two years old. And I'm watching him. My wife is, is at work. Uh, and, and so it's just it's me and him spending time together. And I remember making breakfast. I have eggs. I love eggs. And I had sausage and toast. And I also made some bacon. And... Uh, and so, like, I'm, I'm, like, eating, right? And then I just see this little puppy dog eyes looking at me, like, like wanting what I'm eating. And, and I'm like, oh, he can have some eggs. So I gave him some eggs. But he, he looked unsatisfied, unfulfilled. And so I was like, you want some bacon, buddy? And, uh, and again, he was about one and a half, two years old. And uh, he's like... He, he just, I could just tell that he wanted some bacon. And so, so I gave him a piece of bacon thinking that I am the best dad in the world because I am satisfying the cravings of my firstborn. And he, he begins to chew and eat it. And he swallows, but something happens because the swallow didn't work. And the bacon begins to be lodged in his throat. And he's, and I'm like, ah! like, I don't know what to do. I don't know child CPR. I don't know child CP. I don't know anything. I don't I know. And I'm like, ah, like, I remember just sitting there helpless thinking, somebody help. I need a hero. Like, someone be my hero. Like, I, I'm literally frozen in fear thinking someone needs to come and help me. As my little boy is turning purple, <laughs> he finally dislodged it by himself. <sighs> but I remember just sitting there thinking, like, where is my help at? And then finally, the moment when I realized I am the hero, I am the help, he figured it out by himself. 
And my wife and I thought we were prepared for more, so we had two more kids. Come on, somebody. But, but, but I'm saying this, I'm telling you this because there, there is th- th- this, this moment in time when I was like, oh, this is easy. And then he starts choking and then I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do. Help me, help me, help me. Only to discover that I was the one that was supposed to help. Now, here's why I tell you this. This is the exact same thing that we are going to be looking at when it comes to the story of what we just read at the very beginning in Judges chapter 6. There is a, a, a the, the uh, Midianites, they're, they're attacking Israel. They ravished all of their, their food. They, they destroyed their, their crops, their cattle. They're destroying it all. And, uh, and it gets so bad that the people begin to say, God, help us. God, I need your help. Help us. And it's amazing because the help that God gives is a man named Gideon. And so what we're about to read in our text is is the first encounter of, of, of Gideon, of when the angel appears to Gideon. And here it is in verse 13 of Judges chapter 6. He says, pardon me, my Lord. Translation, uh, I mean no disrespect. Actually, verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, the angel said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Could you imagine that, like, this all of, here's Gideon, he's just, he's minding his own business, and then all of a sudden, Like this angel appears right before him, and the angel says, The Lord is with you, with you, with you, with you. Mighty warrior, warrior, warrior. Like if I'm getting in that moment, I'm like, Don't, 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 right? Like I'm pumped. Like I'm just like, Yes, yeah. But that's not Gideon's response. Watch his response. Verse 13, he said, pardon me, my Lord. Again, translation, I don't mean to be disrespectful. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? When they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Our circumstance, nope. (laughs) Thank you, Josh. (laughs) I read something that wasn't supposed to be. So here it is. Let's pause. Gideon, he's minding his own business. The angel comes. The Lord is with you. He's like, but is he? Is he really with me? I, I don't know if those of you at home can relate to that, this idea. You listen to a message, you read your Bible, you're in your morning devotion, and it says that God loves you, that he wants to heal you, that he is for you, and you just stop and you're like, but does he? Is he really caring? See, 
There's a tension taking place between Gideon and this angel right now because the, the, the angel is trying to let him know, hey, Gideon, you have a call on your life. I want to call you. God is calling you to free Israel from the hand of the Midianites. But, but Gideon is so focused. He's so wrapped up with his circumstance, what he sees. And there's this tension that's taking place with the call. Like he hears the call, but he sees his circumstance. And there's this tension that, that is taking place in his spirit because he can hear it, but he can't see it. And I, I, I wonder if I'm the only one that can relate to what he's dealing with. See, because what's interesting is that when the angel addresses Gideon, the pronoun that Gideon uses is us. He says, what, like, are you with us? Like, if you're with us, why are we going through this? Why are we, like, uh, like he, he's referring to this idea that he is part of the people that, that is going through uh, the attack. And so it, I think this is very important because God is calling Gideon to be the hero, and yet the hero in this instance is going through all the stuff that everyone else is going through. See, this is bizarre to me because when we think of a hero, we think of someone that is above the situation and the hardship that everyone else is around. Except he's going through the exact same thing. He is part of, of the hurt and the pain of his people, and yet God still called him. He, he was still dealing with all the hardships, and yet God was like, Gideon, I still am calling you to be the hero of the hour. See, this morning, I need you to understand that your circumstance does not discredit your calling. Your circumstance does not discredit your calling. And here's what takes place is, is when we have us, when we're going through a situation, when we're going through a hardship, aka 2020, we 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 allow our circumstance or our situation to discredit what we're going through. We allow it to discredit our call that God has on our life. And so what we do, what I do, is I like pull back a little bit. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know, God. I'm kind of going through it too. I kind of don't want to encourage someone. I need encouragement. Like, I don't want to help someone, God. I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, like, God, I'm going through it myself. I don't want to be the hero. I need a hero. But just because you're going through something does not discredit the call over your life. Listen, Gideon had to decipher what he saw from what he heard. In life, you process you process decisions through one of two ways, what you see or what God says. 
And so here is Gideon. He, he's, he's being asked by God, by the angel, Gideon, I need your help. And Gideon, he, he, he had a choice. He had to decide what he was going to do, how he was going to respond. And so in the same way that I said that your circumstance doesn't discredit your calling, that's good and dandy. But your calling is only as good as your obedience to what God's called you to. And so here is Gideon. He hears the call. God is like, if you read through chapter 6, Gideon's like, I'm scared. God's like, here, this, here's why you don't need to be afraid. Gideon's like, hey, God, uh, if this is really what you want me to do, then, then do this. this is his, he throws a fleece out. And every single time, God's like, Poof, there it is. Gideon's like, I don't know. Poof, there it is. And his call was directly related to his obedience to what God had for him and wanted for him. And so after a little bit of back and forth going on, Gideon, he, he, uh, he finally agrees to the role. He finally agrees to be the hero of the story. And so Gideon, he gathers 32,000 troops to go into battle against the Midianites. 32,000. He gets them all together. He's like, are you ready? Yeah. We're going to destroy them. Yeah. I picture Mel Gibson riding a horse. <laughs> <laughs> getting them excited. But watch what happens in Judges chapter 7 and verse 2. Check this out. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. <laughs> this is crazy because we find out that Gideon looks down at the enemy's camp and he likens the amount of, of, uh, of Midianite to the uh, grains of sand on the seashore. And he has his 32,000 men, and God's like, you have too many men. But watch God's reasoning. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. We'll come back to that because I think that's important. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 20, so 22,000 men left. You do the math. That's a lot of people that were like, peace. While 10,000 remain. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues. And as a dog laps from those who kneel down, down to drink, 300 of them drank from cupped hands lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, 
with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So in case you didn't catch what was happening, God's about to show off. Gideon had 32,000 people. He said, hey, um, God's like, that's too many people. Gideon's like, okay, God. Gideon goes to in front of everyone. Um, hey, so if you are scared or afraid and you're like, I don't want to fight, you can go home. And pfft, 22,000 people. They're like, peace, I'm done. At least get in with 10,000. Gideon's like, okay, well, if God is, is saying this, then surely, okay. Then God's like, Gideon, there's still too many people. Gideon's like, okay, well, um, what do you want me to do? God's like, hey, take them down to the river. Judge them on how they drink. The ones that kneel, the ones that cup, keep them. He takes them down the water. These guys, they're drinking. Only 300 of them kneeled, cupped, and, and lapped, uh, uh, drank the water. And God is like, keep those people. Keep those 300 men. Now, fast forward to right now, today, we read this text and we're like, whoo, that's amazing. But can you put yourself in Gideon's shoes? Could you put yourself just in that mindset of what Gideon was having to process in this moment? God, you want me to do what? But remember, your calling, your victory, this was all about, listen, this was all about enlarging Israel's territory. And that victory to enlarge the territory was based off of the obedience of Gideon. And so here he is. He, he had to figure out, what am I going to do? If, am I going to obey or am I going, because here's the deal. This is what I love about God. Is one of the things that I love about God is that he gives us free will. So he's never forcing our hand. And so Gideon, by all accounts, he could have been like, hey, you know what, God? I think you're drunk. I'm going with 33,000 people, 32,000 people. He could have done that. Or he could have been obedient. And there was that tension, once again, about being, being obedient to what God has called you to. This morning, my question to you is, are you obedient to what God's called you to? Am I being obedient to what God has called me to? So Gideon, and we can have the keys come up. Gideon, he's, uh, he, he chooses to obey. And what we're about to read next is the byproduct of obedience. Verse 19 of chapter 7. Gideon and the hundred men went with him, reached the edge 
of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands a trumpet they were to blow. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and one for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn, each, turn on each other with their swords. Watch this. The army fled. I'm not even going to try that word. Somewhere. <laughs> I'm going to say that word and y'all will be like, he cussed. <laughs> I do want to try it though, but I'm not. <laughs> well, each man held his position around the camp. All the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. So Gideon, he has his 300 men. God tells him to break up the 300 men. Put 100 over here, 100 over here, 100 over here. Gideon tells him, on my sound, we're going to blow the trumpet. You're going to get that clay jar. You're going to throw it down on the ground. Instantly, I go to, so growing up, I loved wrestling. Instantly, uh, for all you wrestling fanatics out there, stone cold, breaking glass. Like, that's what I feel is taking place. <laughs> he said, on my count, when I say go, blow your trumpet. Take the glass jar with the, uh, the, the, the torch inside of it and throw it on the ground. He blew the trumpet. Little Harry Connick Jr. Ba -da -ba -ba. They get their jar. They throw it on the ground. And all of a sudden we read that the enemy began to scatter. That there was something that happened in that camp, in the enemy's campground, that they began to become flustered. So much so that scripture says that they begin to kill one another. I want to point out to you this morning that Gideon was not holding a sword. He was holding a trumpet. Gideon was not holding a sword. He was holding a jar with a torch inside. Gideon didn't have 33,000 people. Gideon had 300 people. But what he had was the obedience to God. That if you called me, I may not see it, but I'll trust you and I will obey. I love these three items that he uses. And then I'm closing. It says that he grabbed a trumpet. I think there's significance in that because of worship. I think there's something about worship that if you can engage in worship, it begins to freak out the enemy's camp. 
He had a jar. He had a clay jar. Now, all throughout Scripture, miracles happen with jars. You have the widow that had no olive oil that was empty in the clay jar, and all of a sudden, it was a miracle because now she had oil for the rest of her life. Jesus' very first miracle was turning water into wine in a clay pot. There's, this, there, there's something about this idea of, of this clay jar of, of harnessing. And what is it holding? A torch. Fire. Significance of the Holy Spirit. So here is this clay jar harnessing the presence of the Holy Spirit. So they're going to battle, not with the sword, but with worship and encompassing the presence of the Holy Spirit. So when they go forth, that all of a sudden there's a rumbling in the camp. They don't understand it, but there's a shaking going on and the enemy's camp is fleeing because worship and the presence of God does something that we cannot do on our physical self. And here they are. They're standing here. Victorious. All because Gideon chose to accept the call even in the midst of what he was going he heard it, but he didn't just hear it. He was obedient to it. Come on, this morning I wonder if we could begin to set the foundation of 2021 saying, God, I may not understand it, I may not see it, but I will be obedient to step out when you tell me to step out, to do it when you tell me to do it, to say what you tell me to say. God, I want to be obedient to who you are. this morning if we can set the precedence of 2021 saying God I will be obedient to whatever you say see we have this amazing opportunity next week to sow into this house. To sow into the mission and the vision, the call that God has over discovery in our city. And what I've been asking you for the past month is that you would begin to ask God, God, what would you have me give towards this legacy offering? And all I would ask for you to do is to ask, to listen, and be obedient. God wants to enlarge our territory. Verse corporately, 
both corporately and individually. But it starts with us being obedient. It starts with me saying, even if I'm going through it, God, I'm still going to trust you. I wonder what God can do with a bunch of people willing to be obedient to what God is saying to them.